Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will enable us to hear exactly what the Father wants to say to us. Holy Spirit, you've already searched the Father's heart, and I believe through spiritual words and spiritual thoughts, you want to reveal truth to us. Help us, Lord, to hear the word and see it outworked in our lives. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Some of you may remember a few weeks ago, I spoke on something that I called the power of a Holy Spirit shout. The power of a Holy Spirit shout. Now, I want to continue in that vein and talk this morning about the life and times of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a man who was a voice, not an echo. A man who was a voice, not an echo. And if I was to subtitle this talk, I would call it releasing the prophetic word. The releasing of the prophetic word. Now, I need to be clear, because I'm not talking about releasing the prophetic word within our corporate gatherings. Because if I'm absolutely honest, when it comes to experiencing the prophetic voice, Jubilee Church is for me one of the most liberating environments I've ever had the joy of experiencing. And really, sometimes we don't understand and maybe we don't always appreciate that, but this is a very liberating environment for the voice of the Spirit. In fact, I do wonder sometimes whether we should change the name of this hall and call it Bethesda. The story in John where the people were gathered around the outside of the pool and at certain times of the year, the um, waters would be stirred and the first one in would be healed. And sometimes it's a little bit like that. You sense the prophetic word and you want to give that prophetic word, but before you get there, someone else is in the waters. Which is great. But I'm not talking about the prophetic word within the corporate gathering. Because I'm feeling within my own spirit that God is saying something to the church of the 21st century. And I believe what he's saying is it's time to take the word outside. It's time to take the word outside. That the prophetic voice would be heard within our spheres of influence, whatever that is. Now, for some of us to take the prophetic word outside might be to get involved in the children's storehouse. For some, it might be involved getting in food, involved in food bank or CAP, uh, Christians Against Poverty. For others, it could be prayer on the streets. It could be a whole number of things. I was thinking this week of a, a friend of ours that lives used to live in Dudley. And uh, the school asked her to go in and help them. She was shocked and surprised at that. But they said, look, there is a young lady who is about to be expelled. We have a meeting between her parents and the school board. We want you to come in and arbitrate. We see something in you that can help us in that moment. That's taking the prophetic word outside. That's going and taking God's word into the community. And within whatever sphere we're in, I believe God is encouraging us to take his word to show his grace because His grace is extravagant. God's extravagant grace. 
And the English word extravagant means to go beyond the boundaries of expectation. It's like you were saying this morning, God is a God of surprises. He does things that you think, whoa, I never thought of that. That's different. God goes outside our boundaries. And it's that extravagant grace that God wants us to show to the world in acts of kindness, words of encouragement. Do you know what I love doing? I love going into restaurants. Now, that's not surprising, but I love eating. I love, though, going to fast food restaurants. Well, yeah, I, do I love going to fast food restaurants? No, maybe I don't. But I do, do love going to places where people are serving. And if I see someone and I feel a, a prompting within, someone who's either just collecting plates or whatever, I call for the manager. And the manager who's so used to complaints comes out in their face, you just, oh, okay, what's he going to say? And so I, you're the manager. Thank you. Thank you for giving me some of your time. Can I say that this person works for you? They are doing an incredible job. And if I was you, I'd do your best to keep them. Because they are showing your company in a good light. And sometimes I go back in and people will come up and say, thank you for what you said. That really helped. I think some have even got a wage rise. Think, I'm doing a blessing here. I'm being a blessing. I'm taking God's word of encouragement out into the community. It's time to take God's word outside. And John the Baptist has a voice crying in the wilderness demonstrate some of the characteristics, I believe, of the generation that will go outside. Leonard Sweet, who's written a number of books, he says this, and the quote will come up on the screen. Postmodern evangelism doesn't say to the world, come to church. Rather, it says to the church, go to the world. Evangelism in a culture that is transitioning from Christendom to post-Christendom is different. Postmodern evangelism is more John the Baptist than Peter and Paul. So with that in mind, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And verses 1 to 6. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And this is John the Baptist. In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist was a man of the moment. He stood at a pivotal point in God's redemptive history. He spanned a gap that was between the old covenant and the new covenant. As a forerunner, he bridged the divine between law and grace. John the Baptist was a voice, not an echo. He was a voice, not an echo. Now, I just want to go through three things here. The first two I'm going to kind of quickly go through, because I want to get to the third. John the Baptist became a prophetic voice because he was totally dedicated. 
He was totally dedicated. He took a Nazarite vow, Nazarite vow. His unshaven head, his refusal to drink wine was a part of his total commitment to the purposes of God. He lived in a, a social as well as a, a natural wilderness in which his long-term commitment was a rarity. It was something that stood out from the crowd. He was totally dedicated to the purposes of God. We look at this generation in which we live and we look at the, the lack we look at the environment socially and spiritually and we could naturally become desperate and somewhat in despair. But I think this is the best opportunity the church of Jesus Christ has had for years. It is a time in which we can stand out from the crowd and show them what it means to live for Jesus. Even in the realm of commitment, We live in a society, whether it's in the workplace or in the home, where commitment is such a rarity. Now, Christian couples who have been married for a long season are invited to go into schools and talk to young people what it means to be committed in a family relationship. Because so many have never seen a couple who's been married 30, 40, 50 years They just cannot comprehend that that is possible. We have a great opportunity to show what it means to be totally committed to the purposes of God. What it means to have a heart that's dedicated, that's committed, separated unto God. John the Baptist was a voice, not an echo. He was totally dedicated. The other thing I want to quickly say here, he was utterly dependent on God. He had a camel hair coat. It was more God than Gucci. It takes a while. You'll get it in a minute. You know, He had a camel hair coat, a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was himself a visual statement of someone who was totally dependent on God. He spoke through the way he dressed and the way he ate to a generation that was self-indulgent and self-sufficient. His wilderness address, his desert diet, his style of dress, was speaking out to someone who says, my dependence is on God. I am relying on God as my source of supply. A people totally dependent on God will speak volumes to this self-sufficient generation. Why are you not panicking? Because God is my ultimate source of supply. God. John the Baptist was a voice, not an echo. He was a man who was dedicated, a man who was dependent on God. But this is where I want to kind of part for a while. He was a man who was different. Whether it was his visual appearance, his uncut hair, his unshaven face, his wilderness address, his one-piece camel hair coat, his desert diet, this man was totally different. When you read of uh, Jesus' comment about John the Baptist, and I'm going to put up here the Message Bible, sometimes it just helps you understand a little bit more. It's very much paraphrased. This is what the Message Bible, this is Jesus describing uh, John the Baptist. What did you expect when you went out to see him in the wild? A weekend camper? Hardly. What then? A shake in silk pajamas? <laughs> oh, Peterson, you've got to bless him. 
and not in the wilderness, what then? A prophet. That's right, a prophet. Probably the best prophet you'll ever hear. And what I feel that Jesus is saying here is this. He's not what you expected, is he? He's not what you you expected, is he? And this has come through the prophetic word this morning. I believe the move of the Spirit yet to come will take us by surprise. And I love it and hate it at the same time. You know, I love it when God comes and moves and you're at that point thinking, control now. I am now out of control. God's in control. And I'm thinking, I love it, Lord, but I hate it. Just the other week when the musicians, we came to a point where I don't think they knew what was going to go on. And no one else, God was in the house and the Spirit of God was moving in such a way. And it was kind of, that's not what I expected. Where's it going to go? And I think more and more, as the Spirit of God moves, we will come to that place of saying, I didn't expect that. I really didn't expect that. I love it. John the Baptist was different. He was born original and refused to die a copy. There was an originality about John the Baptist. He was a one-off. He was a one-of-a-kind. Totally secure in who he was. He demonstrated what my old professor used to call the uniqueness of otherness. The uniqueness of otherness. Now, stay with me. I know it's cold, but just stay with me. I've been encouraged to get you up and dance around a while, but it might sound funny on the tape when people listen online. There is no one else in the world like you. There is no one else in the world like you. Now, if we had a church full of yous, it would be a problem. Yous being you, why you, why are you? So my brain's going off in a direction. I've got to stop it right now. That's not the way to go. If everyone was like you, you would be bored. But we're all unique. And I pray, and I'm really praying this, Holy Spirit, thank you for the royalty we are. But help us to be the men and women that you have orchestrated us to be. This is the beauty of the Spirit. Where two or three are gathered, it means where two or three, where they... Um, they symphonize. That's the word. It says symphonize together. And it's all the different instruments. Some are in the brass section. Some are in the wind section. Some are in the percussion section. Some are in the, I don't know, all of the different sections. But the Spirit of God causes us to harmonize together. And where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. Why? Because they're symphonizing together. And it's this whole what I call the diversity of the Spirit that John the Baptist shows us. And he's speaking to the 21st century church and saying the Holy Spirit is a spirit of diversity. John chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus here is describing the operation of the person of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the wind, if we can put that, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. John Piper calls this the free will of the wind. The free will of the wind. Or he says it's the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Just like the wind, because the word wind and spirit, he's kind of juxtaposing these two words. They're both uh, numerous. They both have the same word. Just like the wind, the Holy Spirit is free to blow where he wishes and do what he wills, because the Spirit searches the Father's heart and then comes and brings what's on the Father's heart. We cannot control the Holy Spirit. He will do what He alone wants to do. And I'm saying, God, help me, because I'm saying, yes, yes, yes. And then when the Spirit turns up, I'm going, no, no, no. You're going outside my frame of reference. I told before when John Wimber came into this country and I went off to one of his meetings, I loved it and hated it. He would just stand there and saying, aren't we having fun? And I'm having brightened up in the top balcony. Think you may be having fun, mate, but I'm not. This doesn't fit with my frame of reference. And yet you could see the spirit like uh, wind going across uh, fields of wheat just flowing. You could see the spirit of God just moving across an auditorium of thousands. And you can't argue that's the spirit of God moving. It goes outside my frame of reference. What I'm saying is celebrate our diversity as individuals. God has made you who you are for a purpose. We don't have to copy others. We're conforming to Christ. But I'm not wanting to be uniform. I want you to be conformed. I want the difference, the diversity of the Spirit and how God has made me. That is something unique unpredictably and originally unique about the work of the Spirit. Listen, He's not limited to our timetables. He's not limited to our schedules. And I'm making this a prayer. Holy Spirit, you don't have to work according, and you won't. He's not limited to our structures, our predetermined ideas, or our past experiences. He is the wind of the Spirit. You go over, there's two more scriptures you want to add in here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about the grace gifts of the Spirit. It talks about the variety, the diversity of different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are variety, diversity, different services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all. Diversity, diversity, diversity. Over in 1 Peter 4.10. Talks there about God's extravagant grace being given, giving gifts of speech and of service. And it says of us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, multicolored, multifaceted grace. There is a way that you and I can reflect the goodness of God in a way that perhaps no one else can. God can take of your past experiences and use them to reflect His grace. He can take of your personality and use it in a way that perhaps someone else cannot. It is His multicolored grace that the brilliance of God can be shown. Thank you. Hear me when I say this. Anything done repeatedly runs the risk of becoming predictable, bland, and boring. 
That even goes into the realms of spiritual discipline. Bible reading. Prayer. Worship. Praise. All run the risk because we do them repeatedly of becoming predictable, bland, and boring. But when the Spirit of God is involved, He will leave us and leave those that we serve saying, I didn't expect that. (laughs) I really didn't expect that. You serve me with free clothes for my family and you are a church? I didn't expect that. You paid for my meal? I didn't expect that. You spoke words of kindness? I didn't expect that. John the Baptist was different. He was distinctive. He stood out from the crowd. And through his anointed role, he caught the attention of his generation. And I think, God, I want to catch the attention of this world. I want to refract the brilliance of Jesus in all that I say and do. I want the prophetic word of God to be spoken in acts of kindness. In deeds, in word, yes, but also in deeds. John the Baptist was a voice. Not an echo. I am bringing this into land, as they say. But sometimes my runways are long, so just... I don't know why I said that. Because I want to end with some verbal declarations. It's going to be a bit Church of England at the end. That's okay. Because I do believe, I want God to do some business here this morning. I'm preaching, I'm talking on these things I'm talking on because I'm, I'm trying to co-work with God in this. And I think God wants to bring a conclusion to some issues and move us on. That He releases that prophetic voice within us. There are three things that potentially silence the prophetic voice. The feeling of inferiority, the feeling of intimidation, and the feeling of imprisonment. Moses was a prophet who felt inferior. It's amazing when you read through the Old Testament, the different people who are called, and their first response was, that's something, you got the wrong address. I'm sorry, you meant the guy down, or the lady down the road. That's not me. It's like when God urges you to operate in spiritual gifts, and you think, no, 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 I don't do that. Really, you, you just got the wrong address. I don't normally sit here. Maybe it was the person who normally sits here. And you have this whole debate with the Spirit of God. And, and then if you keep going on having that debate, eventually someone else gets up and says exactly what you were going to say. And you think, I could have said that. Yes, you could have said that. God was just urging you. Or God keeps pestering you in a loving way to do acts of kindness. That he keeps going, you've got to do that, do that. Moses was a man, when he was called, he felt totally inferior. But God gave him an errand. In our inferiority, we need natural and supernatural errands. People who will come alongside and say, you can do this. You can do this. I'm not sure. No, I believe you can do this. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. An errand who kind of encourages us. You know, the Bay of Tapestry, was it say that the uh, King Harold, was it? There's a bit where he's kind of got his spear and he's, he's 
pointing or sticking his spear in the backside of his troops and he's got underneath encouraging his troops. You know, it's, sometimes it's a bit like that. We need some heralds that will encourage. Go for it. Go for it. Well, okay, fine. Okay, okay, I'll go for it. That's the kind of encouragement that we need. It's like an Aaron, a natural Aaron. People who believe in us, people who love us, people who are for us. But also we need the supernatural Aaron of the Spirit who will encourage us within and say, you can do this, but I don't feel able. Well, we'll work together. The inferiority. Feeling inferior as you look at others. It's wrong to say, if I can only be like him or her. No, God's made you who you are. The feeling of intimidation. Elijah was a man who became intimidated. He was a prophet. But his prophetic word was silenced because of intimidation. We're trying to go through this, but the lies and the threats and the accusations that are so often the weapons of the enemy seek to silence the prophetic voice. We need to recognize that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And we have an advocate in the heavenlies who will plead our cause. And finally, imprisonment. Sometimes people, objects and events can lock us up. I have known seasons in my life when I have been totally locked up because someone said or did something to me. The problem was they were Christians. And sometimes we can get so locked up because of something someone did or didn't do, something someone said or didn't say, and it locked us up and we became in prison. John the Baptist was a prophetic voice. And so Herod wanted so much to silence his voice, he imprisoned him. Inferiority, intimidation, injustice can lead to imprisonment. I believe God wants to, by the power of the Spirit, call us free. The old Victorian preacher, was it Spurgeon, used to say, the prison doors are open. And sometimes you walk out of ancient prisons and they used to take the chains off and hang them up on the wall and say, they're there, ready for your next time in. Spurgeon used to say, the doors are open and there's no chains to rebind you, as it were. You are in Christ free. I'm going to put up some some declarations on the screen. And I'm going to ask us, well, why don't we stand now, you know, a bit of exercise, make the blood run. Let me just show you these declarations and then we'll come back to them. Because I want to take authority. I want us to take authority. Spirit of God, lay an axe to roots this morning. The root of inferiority, intimidation, and walk free of any imprisonment that words, circumstances, events have put upon us. Here's the first one. I'll read it and then we're going to come back to these. Today, Heavenly Father, we take authority over those words, people, and circumstances that have worked to create a feeling of inferiority. Today, Heavenly Father, we lay an axe to the root of intimidation. Hallelujah. Stand in the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus. We refuse to be intimidated by those threats that precariously hang over us. Today, Heavenly Father, we choose to use the keys made available through the resurrected Christ and walk free of those people, objects, and events that have sought 
to imprison us and silence your prophetic voice. Now, I'm saying these for me. You know, if you want to join with me, that's fine. You know, if it's just me saying them, that's okay. Because I need to pray these prayers for my life. Because I've seen the words, I've experienced, the, heard the words, I've experienced the circumstances uh, that can come and silence, try and silence the prophetic words. So can we go back to the beginning, the first one? So you ready to take some authority here? God, let this happen right now by your spirit. Do some closure here. Let's let's close this chapter and move on to the next one. Let's bring a conclusion. Right. Today, Heavenly Father, we take authority over those words, people, and circumstances that have worked to create a feeling of inferiority. We are kings. Princes. God's already said that. Father, let that happen right now, I pray. That the authority will be taken. That you will do your work in the realm of inferiority. Because in Christ, we're sons and daughters of the living God. The second one. Today, Heavenly Father, we lay an axe to the root of intimidation. Standing in the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus... We refuse to be intimidated by those threats that precariously hang over us. I'm enjoying this. Finally, today, Heavenly Father, we choose to use the keys made available through the resurrected Christ. We walk free of those people, objects, and events that have sought to imprison us and silence your prophetic voice. Not words, Lord. We make these prayers, declarations that we have the legal right in Christ Jesus to declare. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let your freedom, your liberty, so fill us to overflowing that no one No circumstance, no object, no event will silence us ever again. If you anoint us to speak, we will speak. If you anoint us to be quiet and just act in loving kindness, we will do whatever you want to do. Let the diversity of the Spirit enable us. For your name's sake, we ask it. Amen.